From the AMF Podcast Studio, you're listening to the Health and Safety Law Report. I'm Doug Jenks. And I'm Abby White. On uh, this podcast, Doug and I are going to be talking about issues that we think are relevant to businesses and employers as they try to navigate the health and safety regulatory environment. Doug and I feel qualified to do this because this is the area of law that we practice in. And we are, to be sure, lawyers, but not your lawyers, at least not while we're on this podcast. So while we hope to give you information, this is not legal advice. Uh, Every employer is going to have a different situation that presents different and unique challenges and issues and business considerations. So when in doubt, speak to your own legal counsel or safety professional. During our last episode, which was our very first episode, we began our discussion of OSHA's approach to the coronavirus pandemic. We referenced the fact that OSHA does not actually have a specific standard for infectious diseases, and instead it relies on other mechanisms to guide employers' responses to the uh, the pandemic. Yeah, we talked last time about OSHA citing employers uh, for COVID-related misconduct, and particularly under the Respiratory Protection Standard. There have been a lot of citations issued. In fact, most of the citations issued have been under the Respiratory Protection Standard. So I thought we'd talk a little bit about that topic, um, as well as some practical things that OSHA is going to want to see if they come out and do a COVID-related inspection of a workplace. Okay, the masks are a good place to start because everybody knows that uh, masks are important for controlling the virus, and the masks are ubiquitous now. I mean, we are wearing masks when we go to the grocery. I'm wearing a mask when I go to my parents' house. Um, And, of course, at least everybody in my world is wearing a mask at work. And so the question then becomes, well, what is OSHA saying about masks? And is there a right way and is there a wrong way? Uh, to use them, and how and uh, why might OSHA cite an employer with regard to the use of these masks that everybody is is using? Uh, yeah, that's a can of worms, but it's a really good question. So we talked last time about um, administrative controls, engineering controls, um, and those are the first things that OSHA wants you to do before you use a mask. OSHA considers a mask to be a form of PPE, or I should say a face covering. I think they use the term face covering. So um, PPE should be sort of your second or your, your last line of defense. So OSHA wants you to try to eliminate the hazard or reduce exposure to the extent possible. And then if you can't completely get rid of whatever the hazard is, and this goes for all hazards, not just COVID, but in this case, COVID, um, so like, you're, they'd rather see you not work at height as opposed to work at height with PPE. Exactly. Or don't speed as opposed to speed and wear a seatbelt and think you're okay. Exactly. All right. So, and that's, they're applying that to COVID too. So assuming that you still have employees exposed to COVID despite your engineering controls and despite your administrative controls, um, there are OSHA, I think we also talked about this last time, there's like four different categories of risk depending on what your exposure is when you're at work. So if you are in level one, which is low exposure, OSHA doesn't have any recommendation for a face covering whatsoever. Uh, it's when you get into the medium risk and higher that they start recommending that you take some type of protection for your employees in terms of PPE. The medium risk group they're talking about face coverings, so like masks or net gaiters or some type of cloth face covering. Disposable masks. Right. Okay. 
Um, and that's what's recommended if you're in the medium risk group. If you're in the high or very high risk group. Can you give us some examples of medium risk environment? Yeah, so retail. So you're around people, potentially within six feet of other people, but they're not people that are known or suspected to have COVID. So that would be an example. Um, or restaurant workers or people like that. Right. So you're out in the public, but not necessarily knowingly exposed to people that have COVID. Because hopefully if you're sick, you're staying home and you're not going out to dinner or going shopping. Right. And you're not going to be exposed to those people for long periods of time. I mean, you might right. be exposed to people, I guess, like all day throughout your shift. Right. But the every encounter is probably just a couple of seconds, maybe. Right. Okay. Sorry. Good. No, that's okay. So for those people, OSHA recommends a face covering, um, be it a mask or a neck gaiter or whatever. And, and bear in mind that we are in a state with a mask mandate. And if you're in a state with a mask mandate, you got to wear one in public no matter what. Um, but I'm just talking strictly about OSHA right now. They're saying low risk, you don't have to worry about a face covering. Medium risk, you should wear a face covering. If you're in a high or very high risk group, you should wear a respirator. And I think a lot of these citations are being issued because, and these are mostly healthcare providers in this higher, high, medium, not medium, high or very high risk group. Um, they're giving people N95s, maybe not even realizing that that's a respirator. Or if they do know it's a respirator, they don't understand that once you give your employee an N95 and you require them to wear it, then you have to follow the respiratory protection guidelines, or not guidelines, standards. Can can you talk about Appendix D? Like, what is that? So it's for people... voluntary use of a respirator. Well, so here, let me let me give you this scenario. Let's say I come into the office. Yeah. And I'm wearing an N95 respirator. Yeah. Voluntarily. Yeah. Right. Because right. I I actually think that that's better. It's safer for me to have an mm-hmm. N95 respirator than just the disposable face mask. And so that's a voluntary use mm-hmm. of the mask or, or of, a, of a respirator. Does that trigger me, I think you just said yes, to follow the respiratory protection standards? And what is Appendix D? So Appendix D is for, if, you, if your employer does not require you to wear a respirator, right. but they give you one and you choose to wear it, then you have to also give the person who is voluntarily using it Appendix D, which is actually a sheet of paper that you have to give your employee. Is that, and that's part of the standard? That is part of the standard, yes. If I Google, you know, OSHA Respiratory Protection Appendix D, yes, find it? Yes. And I I have to, like, literally print that out and give it to my employees? Yes. (laughs) It seems so simple. It does. But that's what we have to do. Yeah. All right. Or you could get cited. You could, yes. So, but if you are voluntarily using an N95 respirator, you have to comply with some parts of the respiratory protection standard, but not all of them. And that's basically what Appendix D says. But if you're a, an employer that looks around and you assess your workplace and you say, hey, I've got you know all of these employees and they're exposed to people, they're within six feet of people who either have COVID or they're suspected to have COVID, you're in the high or very high risk group and a respirator is recommended. So if you put your employees in an N95, that's great. That's what you're supposed to do, but then you can't neglect the other part of it, which is having the respiratory protection program in place. So we're talking about things like medical evaluations, 
fit testing, training, the whole nine. So where would an employer go to take care of those concerns, right? So let's say I, I'm in this, this category where I need to be giving my employees the N95 respirator. Mm-hmm. So then that uh, requires me to follow the respiratory protection standards. Mm-hmm. And then I, I'm going to have to do, as you said, like fit testing, uh, medical evaluations. And I guess the medical evaluations literally means, my understanding is, correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, is you got to make sure that um, your employees are medically able to have something over their face. And, and right. it's, it's not going to like suffocate them. Or give them a heart attack. Or, a heart or attack yeah, or right. And then the fit testing is exactly what it sounds like. Make sure that the respirator that they're in literally fits yeah. over the face. All right. But I, I can't do that myself. No. Right? So right. Like, where do you go? Is there, are there like occupational health clinics that you contact? Do you contact like safety professionals? Are there... Like, what, what is your practical advice for that? Well, definitely your occupational safety and health clinic um, is more likely than not going to be able to do those things for you. I think almost all the ones that we encounter um, offer those services. And you can get online and just check their website. So whoever you use for your occupational health provider, for workers' comp, or for people who get sick at work, wherever you send them, check and see if they do it. They probably do. Um, and if they don't, then some safety professionals do it too. Okay. So hopefully it would just be an add-on to whatever. If you have a contract maybe with some occupational health clinic or yeah. urgent care, mm-hmm. maybe that's just something that they can add on or you can add on with your, to your agreement with them and they can just take care of that for you. Right. Because otherwise it sounds, it's, it can be daunting, especially for an employer who's not a lawyer, not a safety professional to look at the OSHA standards, mm-hmm. the respiratory protection standards, and I mean, they're not laid out very logically, at least when you look at them online. Um, so you might not know where to begin uh, and know, you know, how to handle all those things. So Right. And the training is really particular too, because the standard requires not just that you train them, but train them in specific things that have to be in the training. So if you don't know that and you just think it's enough to say, well, here's your respirator and here's how you wear it and this is where you're going to keep it, that's not going to cut it. So you might be well served to hire a safety professional to just come in and do the training for you. Otherwise, I mean, one, you're in violation, potentially in violation of the respiratory protection standard. You can get cited for that. And I guess more importantly, there's the risk that your employees could be getting sick. Yes. Right? Yeah. I keep interrupting you. No, that's okay. Respiratory protection is, you know, the respirator, if, if your employees, I guess my bottom line is if your employees are wearing an N95 or a respirator, they need to follow the respiratory protection standard. If you are in the medium risk group, uh, you know, your obligation, or it's not really an obligation at that point, it's a recommendation. OSHA is advising people to wear a face covering, but there's no actual standard that applies to the wearing of a face covering. Unlike so the, a respirator. The respiratory protection standards don't cover just the face coverings. Right. So that would be enforced under, I guess, the general duty clause. Okay. Which is our topic for our, our next episode. Right. All right. So let's talk about one other aspect of the um, of things that employers can do to uh, limit the hazard. Not eliminate the 
the hazard, like with engineering controls and administrative controls, but to, we'll say, limit the effects of the hazard or mitigate the effects of the hazard. So, Abby, you were talking about the um, masks and, and PPE, and certainly things like rubber gloves would be, or disposable gloves would be part of that PPE as well, I guess. Sure, yeah. Um, in OSHA's guidance on preparing workplaces for COVID-19, that's the, the it's about a 30-page document that we referenced in the in our last episode. OSHA talks about this hierarchy of controls that Abby was talking about in terms of eliminating the hazard, and then then it talks about the, the other things that you can do on top of um, your efforts to eliminate the hazard, or if you can't eliminate the hazard, such as the um, the PPE. But it goes even further, and it contains a lot of practical tips that employers should be following to try to keep their employees safe. And when I read this um, section of this document, it reads to me like a list of everything that we all learned uh, in elementary school. And it seems very almost silly in a way, but we all know how deadly this pandemic has become, and so it's really it's not silly at all. But it says things like um, OSHA wants employers to implement safe work practices that encourage employees to, um, to use good uh, personal hygiene, like require your employees to regularly and frequently wash their hands. But even more so, you as an employer, you gotta make sure that you're providing plenty of soap for your employees and um, lots of hand sanitizer. I mean, imagine this. Imagine that an employee calls OSHA and complains about the workplace uh, with regard to COVID. And then imagine an OSHA compliance officer shows up at your doorstep and then they go to use the bathroom and there's no soap, right? That would be, that would be very bad. But so OSHA wants to make sure that we're having our employees wash their hands all the time. As I said, have lots of hand sanitizer around. Um, make sure that you have lots of tissues available. Have tissues everywhere. Um, but moreover, you got to make sure you're providing trash cans and like no touch trash cans so that your employees don't have to touch the trash cans. I mean, I think everybody nowadays, when you approach a trash can that has a lid on it, I don't know about it's you, anxiety Abby. inducing. <laughs> it is anxiety inducing. Because <laughs> the last thing I want to do is touch it. Right. Right. Yes. Um, kind of like the elevator button. It's yeah, like it's the elevator button. gives me the sweats. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, I use my my car key for the elevator button. Smart. For that, that very reason. Um, but uh, at any rate, so I forget where I was going with all that. But you got to make sure that you are providing. Oh, that's right. Trash cans so that employees are not just throwing tissues, used soil grows tissues uh, on the ground, that they can throw them away. Make sure your employees are, you, you need to do this for yourself, you need to tell your children to do this. <laughs> apparently, OSHA thinks you need to tell your employees to do this. Cover your face when you sneeze, cover your mouth when you sneeze. You're, Respiratory you're etiquette is, Respiratory it's a thing now. Is it? It is, okay. yeah. Well, I, I, I appreciate it as the mother of young kids who just, sit around the dinner table and sneeze without covering their face. It, you know, I like respiratory etiquette. It's given me a term to use with them. Nice. Yeah. Do they respond well to that? They do because they hear it at school. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah see, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right? These are all the things yes. that we were taught and should have been taught in, in elementary school. 
So those are some just very simple things that are listed in this guidance document that OSHA has produced. I'm sure that um, you know, state OSHA plans and also the CDC are all talking about the same, uh, the same kinds of things. And then the same kinds of things that we probably all intuitively know about just you know, staying clean and staying safe in, uh, um, in the presence of this uh, global pandemic. All right, so is there anything else you wanted to say about anything? I don't think so. Wash your hands, people. Okay, good advice. All right, so that's a wrap for today for our um, next episode. We're going to talk a little bit about the general duty clause. So until then, you've been listening to the Health and Safety Law Report. I'm Doug Jenks. And I'm Abby White.